0: Hey everybody, I'm Bob Claggett. Welcome to Making It. This is episode 63, and I'm here with David Picciuto. Hello. Howdy, howdy. Hello, hello. hello. And Jimmy Duresta. Hey everybody. How you guys doing? Good. Very good.
1: Very good. Cool. What's new? Wow. I just got back from Palm Springs. I did a Snapchat all weekend from Palm Springs, and I got 900 people following me this weekend. That's my biggest Snapchat audience ever. And it's me and Taylor just goofing off being at this wedding we went to, which was a beautiful wedding at a really beautiful spot. And uh, then we went hiking, and then we went up this beautiful tram up to the top of one of these big, giant mountains. Like We were about 9,000 feet above the valley floor. It was incredible. And uh, I got back, and uh, yeah, I'm just working my butt off getting back in the groove.
2: If I read the comments right, you got married, right?
1: No. <laughs> yeah, I made that mistake. I t- The... the The service there was bad. So anytime I sent a tweet or try to watch a video, it was always delayed. And I put up this Instagram thing while we were in a cab. It was just a cool picture. And someone's like, oh, that's a beautiful picture. You guys should put it on Instagram. So halfway between driving and paying attention, I I put it up. And then the sentence was misleading and people assumed that I got married. And I was at a wedding and I said, in wedding in, in Palm Springs, hashtag Scott and Marissa, that was the couple that got married. So I just assumed people would read the hashtag and assume that it didn't say me and Taylor. And that wasn't enough. Everyone said, oh, my God, congratulations. What a beautiful couple. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. So I did not get married. Not yet.
0: <laughs>
1: but when I do, it will be like what you did, Dave. You just kind of snuck away and then one day said, hey, now I'm married. It'll be that kind of thing. It's not going to be a big event.
0: Yeah, no no friends, no family. Nobody's going to believe you, though, because they'll be like, oh, yeah, you just forgot the hashtag this time. Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> right. So, anyway, I, I try to correct it on my Instagram so people would stop assuming. And, uh, yeah, any minute now my mother's going to call me and go, did you get married and not tell me? Because, you know, the news <laughs> gets to my mother like seven days late. That kind of Instagram, <laughs> you know, Facebook news. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, so now I'm back and I'm just, uh, I'm going to work on my make movie tonight and have to get that done tonight. I'm going to be making a a mirror frame out of a mirror I found in the garbage with a police barricade that I found in the garbage. So that's cool. It's going to be like urban, urban mirror frame, total trash pick. And, uh, yeah. And that's it. Just getting back in the groove.
2: I put up my shop tour video last week and got a really, really good response Good. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. So I was blown away by the response. And then uh, a few days ago I put out a – I went to the antique mall. It's just this big, huge antique mall and uh, just kind of filmed me walking around and got a really good response out of that. I didn't know how people would would respond to that because I've, over the past month or so, put up some non-project videos and I was getting a lot of comments of, you know, yeah. stop doing these, only put up project videos. <laughs> and so I didn't know how this antique video would go, but I got a really good response out of that. And people were like, I'm looking forward to see what you, I bought a, basically I bought an old clock and I'm going to take it and I'm going to upcycle it. And I'm going to do more of these. because
1: Tim the Sway told me about it. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but Tim Sway said it was cool. You were going at Manteeking.
2: <laughs> yes. Manteeking. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the day this podcast comes out, I will put out my pen turning video.
1: Yep. Nice. Well, I got a word of advice to everybody. Do not put up three sign videos in a row. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to upset the audience. Yeah. How to delete. We probably
0: have lots of uh, recommendations for how
1: to not upset the audience. Yeah, right. I got uh, to delete a lot of comments this week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is don't this? Don't do giveaways. <laughs> the, don't. Sign, the sign making channel. <laughs> what is this? You used to make clever things. Now all you make is signs. <laughs> yeah yeah I I mean putting up videos is is weird in that way that like you never
0: know if something's gonna just be flat or if it's gonna hit with people or it's just gonna make them turn into crazy people it's (laughs) (laughs) it's wild I mean you never know what to I never know what to expect
2: like my duplicating a record video I thought that thing was gonna take off like crazy and it was you know kind of a a flat it was I got a good response but it didn't I'm so bad at predicting what's gonna do well what isn't
0: yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any way to predict it. Honestly. You know
1: what? It, it's funny. David Welder always expects that these videos, he loves to become viral, and they never do. So now he's completely, if he likes it, he knows it's going to stink. That's what he says. He goes, if I like it, it's not going to perform. If I hate it, that's going to perform. <laughs> so as a hmm. joke, a couple of weeks ago, he put a, he put the title of the video, Do Not Click on This Video. And that one performed the most. He's got almost 100,000 yeah. views on a video that he wrote, Do Not Click to Watch This Video. <laughs> that's the title of it.
2: The funny thing with my Manteeking video is I titled it Manteeking Part 1 of 10, and I did that just to maybe, like, the people that were getting upset that I wasn't putting out project videos, like, maybe I would get under their skin, like, (laughs) this is a 10-part video, but... (laughs) <laughs> Nobody responded negative to that. It was all like, "Oh, I can't wait for the other nine parts." And I'm like, "Oh, oh great! Wow. Well, that's what t- Tim a said he
1: goes. I guess he made ten of them because it said one of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you should just skip to do another short yeah. one. That's like, okay, wrapping up the series. Here's number ten, <laughs> and everybody's like, "Wait, whoa, 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 whoa wait!"
2: Oh, the yeah, the other eight were only for my Patreon folks.
1: Ooh, <laughs> Ooh <yeah. laughs>
2: I have funny. fun. It's it's a really important that I have. Making the videos and uh, that I continue to keep making what I want to make instead of what everybody else wants to make. Bob, you bring up the word expectations all the time, and and uh, I've since you've brought that up, I'm kind of like, you know what? I- I'm going to do what I want to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important not to just try to cater. I was talking to somebody about this, and I know I've said it before, but like I really think that. Um, well somebody sent me an email and they were asking about the types of videos that they wanted to put on their channel and he was like, "I do music, I make builds, I talk about technology, I do you know all these really disparate kind of things and um was like, you know should I create new channels for each of these things or how do I do this?" And my recommendation to him and uh, to everybody else has always been do what you're gonna do in your place it's your channel right it's it's like you are the network here you get to make whatever programming you want within your channel. And if somebody doesn't like that channel, they're not going to watch it. No big deal. But eventually, the people that are watching that channel are going to like it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Not for like, you know, oh, he did that one thing that one time. That's why I'm watching it. Yeah. Um. And if people fall away because you are doing what you like, then they're probably not your biggest fans, you know, anyway. So it's not a big deal. You know, you're going to find the audience. The audience is going to find you if you do what you love, I think.
1: Yeah. Some guy, well, I, I put up my link in a promotional video and the guy goes, I'm unsubscribing. I thought you were never going to do ads. I was like, "Did you have you not realized that I did a three M ad it was like my second video I ever made? <laughs> not to mention, you know, every like tenth video is an ad for something or another, subtly placed. And yeah, it's just annoying.
2: Oh yeah, I, what a really clever way of doing the ad videos, Jimmy.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's I kind it was of fantastic. That's, that's, thank you. That's what I want to try and do more often when I do do an ad is stuff like that. And then you know the, the the promotion is at the very end, so that you know once uh, it's no longer effective, I can clip it off. You mm. know, I learned that from you, Bob. That you could edit, <laughs> you could edit while it's up, and um, yeah. So we'll see. It actually performed really well for them, so that's that's good news for me. I'll probably yeah, be doing good. something else for them as well soon.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, it is important that people who watch videos realize that like that's part of how we make our living is yeah. doing those little ads. And you know, it's obviously not something that all of us are like,
1: yay, we get to do ads, but it's, yeah.
0: <laughs> it pays for food and stuff. You <laughs> no, know? but think so, about
1: it. The very first time that a company called either one of us, any one of us three, and, and, and even Dave Welder, I can speak for, you get really excited. You're like somebody, you know, it validates what you've been doing. Yeah. That somebody with money wants to give you money to, to represent their brand. And you're like, wow, That makes you feel proud about doing what you've done. Yeah. You know, and then you know, like once you do it, you are like, "Oh God, here comes the onslaught of unsubscribe comments." <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there again, you know, that goes back to the same thing. Like, yeah. if people get upset about that stuff, they weren't really there to support what you are doing anyway. They were just there for their own gratification yep. based on what you put out. You know, yeah. Oh well, not a big oh, deal. Oh well. Oh well. All right, let's move on because I could talk about that stuff all day long. Bob, what are you working on? I am working on a Lego table. Ooh, yeah. Um, Hold so on. I finished up my, uh, welding cart and have been putting the video together. So by the time this show goes out, that video will be up and, um, I'm pretty happy with how it came out. I mean, other than like we talked about the la- last week, the bad welds from the non gas. Um, I'm happy with like how the whole thing is and how sturdy it is. And, um, so it's nice to have that one out of the way. So now I'm working on a Lego table for my kids, like a build table and it is a combo storage kind of play surface. And so it uh, it moves. And, and I'm doing some like different type of construction than I've done before. Um, and I'm not making a big deal about that in the video. It's just I'm trying to push myself to try to do some new stuff that I've never done. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fun. A little bit of and foreshadowing, along... right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to
1: today's topic?
0: Yeah, to today's topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I'm working on the Lego table, finishing that up, and then still been kind of adjusting my stuff. For I did my first Twitch stream last week, I talked about, and uh, that went really well. It's a lot of fun to build kind of live with people watching and, you know, asking questions. And uh, it's a different experience than building for for the sake of editing, being able to edit. So I'm enjoying that and hoping to see it turn into something bigger. So,
1: Mm -hmm. cool. Hey, can I ask you about your Lego table? I just showed you while you were talking a picture of the tables that I'm making for my kindergarten class. Yeah. These are, uh, you see the sides, they're all cut out of plywood. I'm going to actually do a video of them. I have six to make. So I made two, and it has that little dump in the middle. So I made a three by three foot table. It's 24 inches high for kindergarten kids. And then right in the middle of the table, there's like a little dump box that's three inches deep. It's one foot square. And so that's when the teacher wants to clean up. She could just shove everything into the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was wondering what what uh kind of features will your Lego table have? Will it have something like that or is it going to be just the surface the Lego surface?
0: Yeah, it is um so the about a third the whole table is about forty five inches by thirty inches somewhere like that, so it's a pretty good size. The entire top is split down the middle in on drawer slides oh, so cool. when they're closed, it's a solid top, but both sides open up and slide to the out outside about twelve inches. And then that area where they open up is a huge bin for Legos. That's oh, that's really cool. 30 inches by 20-something, 20 22. That's I think.
1: great. So it's a big hidden dump right in the middle. Yeah. That's yeah. great.
0: And originally, I, I've been working on designs for this table for well over a year. And I keep like thinking, no, it needs like that thing. It needs like a, something else to make it a little bit more unique. And it's been interesting because I've, and this kind of leads to our topic today too, but like I wanted to make it, interesting and unique but there's all these other considerations when you think about furniture for kids you have anything that moves you have to consider like you know squishing fingers and pinching clothes and sharp corners and just stuff and so originally i had this idea for basically what i have now with um an opening in the center for all the legos to drop into and then two big panels on the sides but then the panels hinge at where they connect to the bin So from the end of the table, you could just pick up one whole side and all the Uh Legos would fall down into the bin in the center. Nice. Which I think would work fine. But then you have to figure out, well, how does a kid put... Well, how do they lift that up? One, it's all plywood. It's going to be heavy. So it has to be small enough for them to lift. How do they put it back down without squishing their fingers or somebody else's fingers? You know, uh, stuff like that. And then how do you do it so that no Legos that are falling down get caught in the hinge? Mm. Or, you know, there's all these, like, weird little things that you have to kind of work around. So that's why I ended up with the design that I have now. And one of the, the last things that made me be like, okay, yeah, I can do this is soft close hinges. So that even if you slammed both sides of this together at the same time, it would stop about six inches from being closed and softly close itself. So if there was a finger in there,
1: it's
0: not, we're not going to be, you know, end up with fingers cut off down in the Lego box.
2: Nice. Nice. Can I
0: suggest, uh,
2: A modification? It's probably too late now, but yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So when you dump it into the dump or whatever that's called, there needs to be like a billiard ball return, but it separates them all into little (laughs) bins. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how you would do it, but I'm sure you could figure it out.
0: Mm, Interesting. I mean, I had lots of different variations on, you know, that same general kind of thing. So one of the ideas that I really liked was you would have that dump, And it would it would pour those into the center. But then instead of being a big bin in the center, it would be like a pyramid recessed down in the table. Hmm. So then when they hit that pyramid, they shot out to the edge of the table into trays. So then if you're sitting at the edge of the table, you have like a little tray there that's just being filled up with the Legos that are being dumped in from the center. I had all sorts of like these crazy (laughs) mechanics. And, you know, it was just like, well, this is overkill.
1: Oh, I was going to say uh, with the with the Lego separating out the different sizes. They, it's actually a real thing that they do with a conveyor belt, for instance, with rocks, and they shake it out, and the different sizes fall through different grit holes. So it's very complicated, but you could do that where you shake out all your Legos, and they they become binned They become binned if you put them on a small conveyor belt. Never mind too much. To no, do. no.
0: <laughs> no I, I mean, it is interesting, and it's of course way overkill, but yeah. it's a it's an interesting kind of play in, in figuring out the mechanics. Yeah. I've seen some Lego machines that do that. They're made out of Legos, but yeah. they also sort. Yeah. And they use the kind of the Lego robotics system with um, some different types of sensors to sense what kind of Lego is being pushed through and then they do some sorting. I'll see if I can add some, some of those videos to the show notes because they are really fascinating. I mean, I would never, ever put the time in to create one <laughs> yeah. of those, but it's still pretty interesting. All right, so our topic uh, is a question, and I don't remember who sent it. I didn't write down the name. I apologize if you sent it in. Um, it says, do you or the other guys ever give yourselves a hurdle or try to do things the hard way just so you can learn to adapt or see things from a different perspective?
1: Absolutely. I do it all the time. I mean, the one thing I constantly say is the best way to get out, the best way to learn is to get outside of your comfort zone. And unless you keep challenging your skill set, you're just going to stay at one level. So a lot of times when a customer will call me and, and ask me if I can do a certain thing that I know I've never done before, I'll always say, sure, because in my mind, it's an opportunity to learn something new. And then if it's something I've never done, the first thing I do is go to YouTube and see, you know, there's always a multitude of YouTube videos on any particular subject. And an example I use, and it was in the example I, I used in an article I wrote for Wood Magazine a couple of months ago, was Corian. One of my clients called me, one of my architect friends and said, Hey, can you do all this Corian work? He said, it's fairly simple. It's just like working with wood. He knew I never did it, but he encouraged me to do it. And he says, you can do it. I'm sure you can handle it. He goes, just do some research on it. So I worked, me and Dave actually did all this, this Corian work a couple summers ago. And it was pretty complicated stuff because we used it as not only as a solid surface material, but we used it as the object of which we built out of. We made a door out of Corian. We made radiator covers out of Corian. And uh, things that opened and wow. shut, utilizing the Corian as the surface for the opening of the door. And it was a lot of fun. I must admit, it was a lot of fun. It was very expensive stuff. So it was a little intimidating at first. But the system that they designed, the, the material that goes with it, the uh, epoxy, it's super toxic smelling. And, it, you know, it stinks up the whole shop. And, you know, we learned the hard way. The neighbor's banging on the floor. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it really stinks. Uh, it's like poly, it's... It's an an acrylic. It smells just like when you cut plexiglass, but in like liquid form. And uh, it comes in the exact same color as the material. So these are all things I never would have learned if a client didn't call me and say, hey, can you do this for us? I would have shied away from it. I never would have thought to do it on my own. But uh, getting outside your comfort zone is very important in in all aspects.
0: I know, David, you've said several times that like um, a good way to boost creativity is give yourself limitations. And I guess it's kind of a similar idea, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you have too many options, sometimes you get paralyzed from choice and that can affect your project. Bob, you probably understand this from have uh, recording music. Now you have hundreds of plugins available and you can do all these things to your audio and to correct it. And when you have all these options, it really slows down the process. But mm-hmm. if you just limit yourself, like, I'm just going to record this and move on to the next thing, you, you you create this flow. So that's where the limitations, I think, really helps the outcome of your project.
0: Yeah, I know, like, one of the differences, and this is not at all a dog on my wife, but one of the things that we figured out about the, the two of us is that – um she likes to be aware of all the options. Like, so if we were talking about building a piece of furniture for that goes in the house, that's like going to fill a specific need. Um, I would think, okay, I'm going to design something real quick that, ha- that covers all the basis. It, it does what it's supposed to do and I'm going to build it. And she would say, well do that. And then I want to see like in, see it in place, see if it's like exactly what it needs to be. And if not, let's do another option. And then let's do another option. Let's see all the different p- potentials right next to each other. You know, it's just a different way to look at solving a problem. Um, But it's interesting uh, exactly to what you're saying. Like, if you follow that process in the shop, that can lead to some really good stuff because you're iterating on ideas. But it can also, like, completely stop you from actually getting anything done. Mm -hmm. You know, if you spend all your time like, well, there's probably another really good idea that I haven't gotten to yet, so I'm not actually going to do anything. You know, um, know,
1: it reminds me of working, I've worked with a lot of people brainstorming in the toy business. And one thing I noticed about some people's particular brainstorming pattern is that they never stop. They never decide, okay, we've come up with like one or two really good ideas. Let's start working. It's almost like fear of getting started. They just continuously coming up with ideas and they never, they never get started. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like a way of avoiding the actual, the inevitable of getting started because there might be a fear of beginning. So, yeah. Just a thought.
0: And one of the ways that to answer this question, like for me, one of the ways that I try to combat getting in a rut, and I still do, obviously, but one of the, the ways I try to combat it is to not always do the same type of project. Like I intentionally don't do a bunch of woodworking stuff in a row. Because if I make a piece of furniture, and then next week I go, oh, I should make another piece of furniture, I'm going to be in that same flow, using the same tools, the same joinery, the same stuff that I used before, which is not a bad thing at all. But part of what I'm doing is learning new stuff, right? And so uh, if I go two weeks of using the same tools, the same methods, the same materials, then I'm that's two weeks of me doing one thing rather than two weeks of me doing two things. Mm-hmm. And so by bouncing around from, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do some electronics. Now I'm going to make a – I'm going to do some molding. Now I'm going to do some whatever. In my mind, that's, like, just throwing me into a different room and being, like, okay, find your way out. And then, like, okay, I got out. Okay, here's a new room. Find your way out, you know. Yeah. I like that. That's that's fun for me. Even if I end up, you know, in a month going back and doing more woodworking with the same stuff, I know that I haven't been stuck in the same place for a month. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to something and making it better, you know.
1: Yep, yep. That's,
0: that's the way I approach that particular problem.
2: I found myself in woodworking, I've kind of stopped exploring and I just keep using the safe joinery methods and the methods that I know. But I, my curiosity is expanded in other things. So it's, I love learning new things. So it, maybe it stopped in woodworking, but it, it's grown into laser engraving, laser cutting We've talked about sewing. That's something I want to get involved in in the future. Um, some, and um, trying to think of some other examples of, that I've gotten into uh, recently, like video editing. I'm, I'm exploring new video editing techniques, and I, don't know, I just really like learning new things. So it, it's, it's pulling away from maybe me learning new woodworking techniques, but it's, it's pushing me in other directions where I can combine them and add them to my woodworking in the future.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, as opposed to a different method or a technique, getting a new tool, a tool that you've been intimidated by, like, for instance, the domino joiner, which I know, David, you have. Bob, you, have, you don't have a domino joiner, do you? No, I don't. Yeah, so getting one of those also expands your horizons because you know, that's just as an example of a new tool. It could be a laser, it could be a CNC machine, but getting one a tool like that automatically, your, your workflow changes. And it's been great to see all the guys that get the, the X-Carve on youtube that never had a cnc machine so it's great to see everybody learn that in public you know get a cnc machine and start experimenting with making new things that they never would have made before so that's another way of expanding getting out of the comfort zone just get get your hands on a new tool
0: yeah and like we were talking about woodworking i don't want to say at all that like you have to stop doing a particular skill set and do another one to be inventive or to learn new things i mean Within woodworking, within metalworking, within any of these things, there's always new, deeper things to learn to get better at. But you have to, I think naturally, uh, just in general, naturally we are like, okay, things are settled. Like things are not entirely chaotic right now. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing right now so that it's not entirely chaotic. You know, I mean, that's like human nature, right? To not not be in chaos. And... Uh, that can also just lead to not really doing new things, not learning new things a lot of times. And so uh, I think you have to like go against your natural, well, I'm speaking for myself. I have to go against my natural inclination to just be settled and be like, okay, stuff's not crazy. Let's keep doing this. And I go, okay, well I can deal with a little bit of craziness if it's going to return a new skill to me or I get better or at this or I meet somebody new or, you know, whatever the thing is.
2: For me, it's part of, um, me making a living. So there are so many people making woodworking videos now that if I just did the traditional woodworking videos, I'm, there's that potential for me to get lost in the sea of other woodworking videos. And so I try to expand. Like in the speaker video, I did the Tolex covering. And now I'm adding some etched glass and some laser into things. And I'm trying to make myself different from everybody else. So hopefully I stand out. From everybody else, and so it's, I, I just, I'm learning new things because I feel like I have to.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's true. I and, mean, that's why I, that's the reason, main reason I do a lot of different things. It's just to try and keep it interesting for myself. Except the signs, I'll make signs, and they'll always <laughs> be exactly the same. From now on, <laughs> from now on, every week,
0: <laughs> signs with Jimmy. <laughs> that's a new podcast right there. It's just like the the sound of you making signs. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, that being said, every time I do do a repetitive video that is seemingly repetitive, I really take a close look and I think to myself, what new technique is in this video that is not in a different one? Mm-hmm. And I, and I try to make it unique. Like I have another sign coming up, but I am not going to film it. So did you guys just hear that collective sigh of relief?
2: <laughs> I <laughs> enjoy <laughs> the signs It's I
1: exactly
2: really, really the do. same
1: Thank you, I appreciate that It's exactly the same as my Tangeray sign That I made a couple of years ago In fact, the client said, I love this Tangeray sign Can you make the exact same one for us In our lettering, which is a script So I will not film it You'll see pictures hmm. of it, but there will be no video hmm. Punishing my audience now, now,
0: now is there like no way that you could take that and, and figure out a different way to tell the same story Even though the construction is the same Um... And I'm saying that because... No, I I'm thought playing, it through.
1: Honestly, I thought about it. Go ahead. Ask me I'm playing a devil,
0: devil's advocate yeah. here. You know, as we uh, run these channels and these kind of like media creation things, we're just constantly pumping out new video and new audio and all this stuff. And people find us at different points in our careers, right? Mm-hmm. The different, you know. So somebody who may have started watching you six months ago may see that new video that is technically the same as one you did a year ago and be like, oh, wow, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like yeah.
1: there, maybe there's a balance there of. And then I'll get the, 700 comments if I saw this already. And then I'll get three <laughs> like, this is amazing, man. I love everything you do. <laughs> so I got I to gotta take that chance.
2: I do like the idea of experimenting and maybe a different way, way of storytelling. Yeah. Uh, a few months ago, I made these acoustic panels that are up in my office. And it's just simple like frame joinery. So in, I filmed it, but. In the voiceover, I didn't talk about what I was making at all. I kind of talked about my my history and how I got to where I am. Hmm. And so it was kind of like a fun little way of telling a story that I've always kind of wanted to tell while, while I'm doing some semi-boring woodworking.
0: You know, hmm. yeah, It might be something to think about. I mean, like, you know, in this adding a hurdle we'll see the guy, the quote was give yourselves a hurdle or try to do things the hard way, just so you learn to adapt. Maybe that's one of the things that you could do is try to take a task or a skill that you already, and this is for other people who are maybe creating, um, something that you already have done, something you already know how to do and figure out a way just to wrap it in another layer. That's new, you know, and then that maybe that's a story. Maybe that's just a visual way to represent something. Maybe that's, I don't know. I have no idea, but, um, You can't, obviously, you can't throw away your history, right, every single time. You can't throw away the knowledge you have before to always do something new in the hard way for the sake of doing it the hard way. But maybe there's a way to kind of enrich, you know, the next sign to make it better than the previous sign.
1: Yeah, you got a new
0: sign-making tool, Jimmy. You got to show that tool off.
1: yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I, you know, that being said, I probably now, now I'm going to film it. Thanks, Bob. I'll film it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the guilt sets in. That's right. I mean, because everybody's going to want to see the sign, and if Jimmy doesn't
2: film the sign, then... If you don't film the sign, I'm going to give you hate comments on your other videos.
1: Like, yeah. I was expecting a sign. <laughs> yeah, right. What, no more signs to make? <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Well, we had,
0: um, unless you guys, do you have anything else about that?
1: No, I just, uh, you know, my, my, my basic comment is always just step outside your comfort zone. That's how you keep stepping up the ladder.
0: Don't remember who
2: sent it cause I don't have it in front of me, but somebody emailed us saying, Hey, if you had $2,000 and wanted to start a metal shop, how would you do that? What would you buy? And I'm going to twist it a little bit. If you had $2,000, no tools, no shop, any kind of shop, woodworking, metal, whatever, what would you buy first, or what would you do to set up shop with a two thousand dollar budget?
0: Interesting. Anybody thought? Have any thoughts?
1: Oh, well I was just going to say. I just happened to have this conversation with a friend on the sidewalk the other day. We we passed each other, and he stopped to ask me where he could take good woodworking classes. And because we had to here in New York City a thing called Third Ward, which was a very popular woodworking school, woodworking metal and fabrication school, but they went out of business. It was a great place for people that weren't currently enrolled in any school. You could just go there and join up. Anyway, they went out of business. And so everybody here knows this, there's no other really convenient place to go to unless you join a makerspace and they're not really very, very obvious to find. So I said, look, why don't you do something like this? I said, take the five or $700 you would typically take and join a makerspace with and just buy a bunch of hand tools off of say, for instance, Lee Valley, because he wanted to do woodworking specifically. I said, just go buy five or $700 worth of hand tools and then just go to YouTube and learn that way, you know, just because he's going to work also in his apartment. So I said, if you think of it, the basic hand tools that you need, hand saws, chisels, plan planes, and those type of things are the same things that any basic woodworker, you know, a hundred years ago would need. Start with that. And then if you decide you wanted to get a bandsaw or anything like that, you could then take it from there. I mean, that would all still fit within the $2,000 range as well hmm so I mean that that's somebody that never did any woodwork that wants to start from scratch and he, yeah
0: yeah I mean I was gonna kind of say the same thing not necessarily about hand tools but you know when people ask me a similar question I was like what tool should I get I always say you know start with a circular saw a drill and an orbital sander like if you have those three things basically you have a, a, a really basic version of every other tool pretty much and um, with those, you can create enough stuff to get to know what you want to do. Because in my mind, like if you buy a bunch of tools, you buy a bandsaw and a table saw and a this and a scroll saw and a, that thing, and then you get them all and you're like, oh, it turns out I only like to use the scroll saw. Well, then you have a bunch of tools you're not going to use. So, you know, if you buy the basic stuff that you could even build your own workbench with, that process may give you enough understanding of, you know, the use of the tools and what you can do with them that you're like, no, it turns out I actually don't need a bandsaw because there's, there's no reason for what I want to do. There's no reason for me to own that thing. And, you know, that way you're spending, what, 200 bucks probably on on those three things, you know, and save your money, buy some lumber <laughs> instead and, uh, you know, build your own workbench and kind of just take it from there.
2: Hmm. I'm going to approach the question in a different way. and. I always say you need a project first and then buy the tools to complete that project. Hmm. Um, but I'm going to – I already know what I'm going to make. So I'm going to approach the question where a typhoon came through Ohio, wiped out my shop. I have known – I got – insurance gave me $2,000 and I'm starting over.
1: Oh, okay. Did the typhoon it's, come from the Pacific Ocean?
2: It did. It, was, it traveled a long way. Yeah, totally
0: ruined the West. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: It's just all gone. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana's now the West Coast. So, uh, I, number one, I need a table saw and a bandsaw. I bought my very first table saw off of Craigslist for 125 bucks. That thing lasted me a good, good long time. Um, I see bandsaws on Craigslist all the time. Maybe not in Savannah, but, (laughs) (laughs) but in Toledo. We have have cats pretty much. Oh, well, cats make a good tool. (laughs) And, um, so I'm going to use those two things to build my workbench. And so you're going to spend a couple hundred dollars in material to to get a workbench together. And, and then from there, it's just I'm going to go back to buying tools as needed. I'm probably going to need a router, probably going to need things to sand. You're definitely going to need clamps. Clamps are crazy expensive. But, again, mm. you can you can find cheap ones to get you started. Then they'll break, and then you'll buy the expensive ones.
0: So. Yeah. Um. Well, somebody else was asking me in a separate message altogether, um, he was saying that he actually had money to set up a new shop and had space. And he, I don't remember. It was like a 10 by 15 shed. And he was trying to figure out how to lay out his tools. Like what, what shop furniture should he build so that he can make the most of that space? Cause it's about the same size as my shop, a little what, bit bigger in one direction. What's the size again? Um, actually smaller than my shop. It was 10 by 15. Okay. So it's kind of a, I think it's like a shed, like a in your backyard kind of shed. <clears throat> so, I guess to frame that for this conversation, what do you guys think, other than a workbench, just like a a basic bench, what's some other shop furniture that would be a good place to start to help somebody, you know, like lay out their tools in a space?
1: I like, I personally like cubbies. So I always Mm -hmm. build cubbies on the wall. So like maybe three, three high and maybe six or eight wide. I make like one by one foot cubbies that I could put individual so like that cubby's all sandpaper stuff and that cubby's all drills and that cubby's all circular saw stuff. So the cubbies basically divide up and there's always like that one tool in there, like the circular saw, but the extra blades are in there and and mm. you know, that's kinda how I do it. I like to set things up in cubbies. Those are
2: good ideas. Also make great first woodworking projects as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say my very first woodworking projects was furniture for the shop and one was a stand for my benchtop drill press. Another one was a stand for my router table and they're basically just boxes on, on casters. I still have them. They still work great. They look terrible, but they've held <laughs> up for six years. So. Hmm.
0: Um, one of the things that I, I think I saw maybe Izzy do this the first time, a long time ago, and it, it's like super simple, but He had built just a work table, like an assembly table, and then instead of putting, you know, like a big shelf underneath the table, he put kind of a shallow shelf right below the surface. Maybe it was 8 or 10 inches below the actual work surface, and on that shelf, I don't remember if they were cubbies, they may have been, but on that shelf, he kept all of his hand powered tools there on that shelf plugged into a power strip that was right there, and I don't know why that had never dawned on me. It's, yeah, it's so a simple. S- it's a great idea. But instead of like going to a cabinet and pulling out your sander and then coming over and plugging it in, using the sander, unplugging it, putting it back in the cabinet, if it's right there, you reach down and pick it up, you use it, put it back where it is, and you're done. And from that, I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> that's really simple. It makes a lot of sense. So now, like, at least for all my sanders, you know, um, belt sander and orbital sander and all that stuff, they're all plugged in all the time directly underneath my workbench. And that's the thing that I kind of pull out, use quickly and put away more than anything else. Um, So I kind of leave those out, but that, you know, if you make a really simple two by four uh, assembly table or outfeed table or whatever, putting something like that in it just immediately makes it more usable. Mm. Um, The other thing that I, and what I told this guy was that I try in my shop, because it's small to try to share surfaces as much as possible. So, you know, you have, all these different tools that have different work surfaces, right? There's a table with your table saw and your drill press. And, you know, there's a a flat bed on your miter saw. There's all these different surfaces. And if you can build furniture to get them all at the same height, then they can act as support for each other. So the thing I told him was to take your, the one that's least flexible, which is probably the table saw, you measure from the floor what that surface is. And then that becomes your kind of, a base for every surface level for everything else. And so then when you build your miter saw station, you build it so that that is at the same height as your table saw. That way your table saw acts as support. When, if you're cutting a long piece on your miter saw and the miter saw can act as outfeed for your table saw and you know, whatever. And then if you put everything on mobile bases or on casters, then everything can be what it needs to be at any given moment. You know, you can move everything around. So, yep. That's my approach for laying out my shop, mm-hmm. um, but you guys got anything else for cheap shops or starting shops? Or
1: well, I you know I, I advocate for it all the time, but I always say go to Craigslist and just buy used stuff because that'll get you going. You can spend a fraction of the price on a great table saw that's used, and that'll last you a really long time until you you get one good job, and then you end up buying you know the new brand new table saw that suits your purposes. So. A great, yeah, it's a great just, way to get started. is just is just to go sh- build up. It. And I'm constantly still buying used tools. I look on Craigslist all the time, looking for that one thing that I don't need. But once I see it, I know <laughs> I need it. It's one of those things. You're looking for the
0: rustiest thing you can find.
1: <laughs> yeah, the farthest away that I can drive and get it.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good kind of approach to take to anything. Is like you buy the, you know, a reasonable tool, used or cheap or whatever and use it to make something that can make you money to buy a better tool. And that's not always the case. I mean, some things need to work, right? You can't just buy, like, really awful things with the hope that they're going to make you money. Um, but if you don't have a lot of money to start with, I think that's a pretty good way to do it. But too. you could
1: also go into Harbor Freight with two grand, and you can get totally set up. That'll last you for a long time. Yeah. so that's Two grand goes a long way inside of a Harbor Freight.
0: Unless you're Jimmy Duresta.
1: Yeah, no. I, yeah, I just buy, like, <laughs> zip ties and sanding pads. and, then, <laughs> and then I, I wonder what $2,000 worth of zip ties would look like. <laughs> come Man. to my shop, because I don't know where the hell I put them. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'm going to, like, crack open a piece of a, a cabinet and it's going to be filled with all the zip ties I bought in the last 10 years. The, I, the only ones I ever able, I'm able to find are, like, the random ones that fell out of the package that is now missing. Yeah. So, zip ties.
2: Jimmy, you've brought it up before. People are always giving away free
0: tools, so ask friends and family what they have and what they don't need. Mm -hmm.
1: That's it.
0: Estate sales. There's a lot of estate sales around here. Um, And you know that's a thing where you may not even find um, maybe not power tools. I mean, I I guess as generations move on, it's going to be more power tools. But I know a few of the estate sales that I've seen since I've been in Savannah, which has been pretty long, a lot of it was hand tools. And a lot of it was stuff that maybe wasn't even usable anymore you know like they were not great hand tools 50 years ago and so now they're just like bad hand tools (laughs) but still the fact is you a place like that you may find stuff that you would never ever find anywhere else at an estate sale because it's just been sitting in somebody's basement for 50 years and they're ready to get rid of it yep yep but um you guys got anything else on this one
1: well, talking about comfort zone, we know we talked about that a few minutes ago, but you just reminded me about hand tools. One thing I meant to say was everybody always asks me, how come I'm always hand sawing stuff? And that's so that I could be practiced at it when I'm really in need of only being able to use a hand saw. So hmm. that's getting outside your comfort zone. A lot of people don't use a hand saw because they could always just pick up the circ saw. But if you practice it using a hand saw when, when it's not important, one day it's going to be important. And you're going to need that handsaw, and you're going to need to know how to cut a piece of wood. So so what's
0: the, and I'm not trying to provoke you, I'm actually curious, what's the mm-hmm. situation that you looked forward to in that, like, when would I be in that situation that I would only have a handsaw available? Well, me personally. Other than just, like, the power being out or something.
1: Uh, honestly, me, like, being out in the woods, like, uh, you mm-hmm. know, because I got 40 acres, so uh, a lot of times I use a handsaw to cut a tree down. You know, you could use a chainsaw or whatever, but sometimes I've just, I'll, I'll prune a tree with a handsaw. We'll climb up a ladder and just have a handsaw and just cutting branches. And actually Taylor got really good at using the handsaw for that same reason. I said, get practiced at this. It's safer when you're in a tree. It's safe. Like you're like literally like 20 feet in the air. It's safer to use that handsaw, you know, just like an Mm -hmm. old Stanley crosscut handsaw than trying to chainsaw down something. And, you know, you're trying to manipulate a chainsaw when you're up in the tree. It's just dangerous. So um, that, and then also when I do a lot of my on-site builds, I'm always using my handsaw because it just looks better. And in all actuality, I can get more accurate cuts when I'm cutting two by fours and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's me personally.
0: Cool. Um, you guys got any other questions that came in that you're interested in talking about or we want to talk about what we're watching?
2: Well, can I put you on the spot? Me? Yeah, yeah sure. Both of you. Any, anytime. All three of us. Is it, is it, what are you afraid to learn right now?
1: Ooh. Yeah, that's a good question. Leather. Leather. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> CNC uh, laser machine.
0: <laughs> well, I want to. I want to, David, what you're scared of. But first, I want to ask, why are you scared of laser stuff? Me? Yeah.
1: Um, I'm just. Uh, I just. I'm just a little afraid to pull the trigger on a few thousand dollar unit and mm. you know jump into it. And but I will. I definitely will. You know, I get in that itch, and I know I need it. And I'm waiting for the glow forge. I'm not sure if I'm going to get one, but we talked about that. I'm either going to get that or. I might pick up a used epilogue or something. I'm not sure, but you know, just the whole concept of it is a little fearful because it's a big financial commitment. I'm sure I'll so make good not, with it.
0: It's not the the technical end of it or the anything like that. It's more the it's, uh, investment.
1: It, it's yeah, it's it's more the investment, but it is a little bit of the you know the technical learning curve, which I have no reason to fear it. But it's just it's annoying. It's like another thing that I would like to try to avoid having to learn, but I can't. Yeah, I have to do it.
2: Yeah, and for me, it's 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 probably just metal work. So you know, we got the, uh, or I got the welder a year ago, and I've done one thing on it just to, kind of learn how to use it. But the first project that I want to use it for, like I'm going to see those welds. So I'm like, I'm kind of fearful of making these table legs. Because it's you're going to see how good or bad it is. It's going to be very obvious. So uh, it's a, a, a little mental thing. I also want to uh, – I have a couple knife – not a couple. I have one knife project that I want to do. I want to make an Ulu knife. I don't know if you're familiar with an mm. Alaskan Ulu knife. Um, basically, it's just it's got a big blade that's curved like this, and it's used for for chopping food. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's we have one, and the blade is dull, and I'm like, I want to make a new one. But I don't know – I guess my fear is I don't know where to get the the metal, for for the blade. What how what thickness? I don't even know how to talk metal thickness or mm. plate thickness or what it's called. Mm-hmm. Where to get it and the best way to cut it. Can I cut it with a Dremel? Can I cut it with a bandsaw? I don't know. So it's the usually the fear is I have to just sit down and absorb some new knowledge, and it's it's that taking that time to do so.
0: Yeah. Part of the as far as the metal stuff, like I totally. I totally feel what you're saying there. And part of the reason I did the welding cart was so that I would not have an excuse not to have a place to practice. Mm. Because if if I'm like down on the concrete floor with two pieces of metal practicing, that's I'm, I don't enjoy that. That's not fun. But if I can walk over in 10 minutes to a table that's already set up for welding and I have scrap available and I could just sit down and practice beads and get better at the process, I'm more likely to use it in the future. So even though this particular table that I made is not really pretty and it's not whatever. It's like removing an obstacle for me to get better at something in the future. Not like it didn't make me better at something, but it's going to make it easier in the future. So maybe you can look for a way to, to remove the stuff that's getting in the way of you practicing.
1: And Dave, don't forget to turn the gas on. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes. Learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. Some those idiots that don't turn the the gas on, (laughs) learn from them.
1: The other thing, though, too, is Dave. Um, I always do this if there's like four or five things to do on any given project. Say, for instance, legs. You have you, you you don't necessarily need to film all four legs being made. So make two off camera so that you could practice, and the two that mm-hmm. you make on camera, all of a sudden you have an education.
2: True. Yeah. Yep. And do you guys ever fear not knowing the the language?
1: Constantly. Constantly. I don't know any of the language of anything. <laughs> I don't know any of it.
2: And I want to talk to somebody like, hey, I need I need the thing to do the thing. And uh, I'm afraid of looking like a complete idiot. And maybe that's just, I just need to get over that. And just No,
1: get over it. Because even as much as people think I know the, of the things I know, I still walk into the welding shop and I'm like, can I have the thingamajig that goes like this and plugs into that? And then they look at me like I'm a complete moron. But, you know, maybe I'll say one or two things that win back their respect. But whether I do or not, I don't care because I'm so over, like, going into a, a lumberyard and being intimidated by the way they ask yeah. you certain questions. Oh, that's premium. That's this board foot, blah, 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 blah. It, I'm so over being intimidated by that because I just know what I want. It's like when you walk into a Home Depot and they're like, well, what's your project? They go, never mind what my project is. Where's the plumbing aisle?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know? Well, I mean, I went to that that steel yard recently to get the steel for the welding, welding table. And I went in with that exact same fear. Like I avoided going to that place for a long time because, like, I don't exactly know what to ask for. I don't yeah. want square pipe. Okay, <laughs> you know, it's like
1: you mean box channel. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, sure, sir, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so right I went away. in there and, like, you know, and I I had everything on paper and I told the guy, like, I don't know what any of this stuff is called. And I like laid it out for him at yeah. the beginning. Like this is the first time here. I don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah. this is what I want. It's on paper. Help me find it. And he was like, Oh yeah, sure, no problem. Whereas the guy before me, who was I was who was checking out while I was waiting was like this kind of hardened metal worker dude who's just like, I need this gauge of this thing. And the thing, you know. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to look like an idiot because this guy obviously <laughs> knows what he's talking about. But anyway, the fact that I went in and like, didn't pretend that I knew what I was talking about. The guy was super helpful. Yeah, And you know, he was like, well, how thick do you need it? And I said, I don't know an eighth of an inch. I don't know what that translates to in gauge. Right. And I still don't, honestly. Right. But he was like, oh, okay. Well, then, you know, he pulled out a chart and said, well, this thickness is this gauge number. And it was really helpful to just not go in and like try to presume that I could fake my way through knowing what I was talking about. Yeah, and, right, right. and he was
1: helpful, you know? So. I put up the video of me making the sign for green lights the other day. And a couple of questions I got is like, what kind of plastic is that? What is this? And is that? And I don't know the answer to any of that. My buddy makes, he makes plexiglass walls and he has a lot of cutoffs. And he brought some cutoffs to the shop. So they were the right size. I didn't even know what kind of plastic it is, what the model number it is. Any, people are asking <laughs> me all this. I'm like, I don't know. It was just garbage. And now it's not garbage. And that's <laughs> it. And they're like, is it PX 5 625? I go, I don't know. And then when I started Probably. like making things out of aluminum axe handles and stuff, to like, so Is that 6525 uh, aircraft. I'm like, I don't know. It's a chunk of, <laughs> of aluminum. Now it's an axe handle. I don't know. <laughs> Well, how could you not know? I'm like, how could I care? Like, what difference does it make? It's here. It already exists yeah. now. Yeah. So it, it's easy to get intimidated by a lot of that stuff. You just got to, you know, just keep trucking on through, stick to your vision. And, you know, you start learning when it's important, like when you're building like an overhang outside of like a, you know, government building, then you got to make sure it doesn't fall when it gets snowed on. That's when you worry about what kind of metal it is. And are you ever going to do that? No. So don't worry about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just like getting past the point of, for me anyway, it's like I have to get over the fact that I'm going to be scared about not knowing the right words and just make an attempt. Yeah. And even if it's not right, if I say the wrong thing, which yeah. I do, I mean, I constantly call things the wrong thing. The other day, <laughs> the other day in one of my videos, I said, it was a co- I was holding a coping saw and I said something about a hacksaw because a minute before that I had picked up a hacksaw and I'd started to use it and I was like, oh, this is not going to work well. So I got the coping saw instead. And then when I did the voiceover, I was thinking about the other one. And I just called it the wrong thing in the moment. Okay, kill me. You know, fine. <laughs> it's no big deal. I mean, but people jumped all over me for that. But the fact is, like, it's okay if you don't know what things are called or how I, to use you know things what? in the perfect I really, way this, this,
1: this is going to sound like a, like I'm a jerk. But the more people know the exact definitions of things, those are the people that actually do things less often. They spend Hmm. so much time reading and researching and they don't do anything. I mean, the antithesis of that is I just actually start making things and I never learn what anything's called and, you know, call me an idiot, but I have a bigger portfolio than the guy that has the bigger vocabulary. Interesting. That would make a good (laughs) (laughs)
0: t-shirt.
2: It's not the size of the vocabulary. It's the size of the The portfolio.
1: portfolio. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the same thing. The nerds online or the or the trolls that immediately start picking on you saying, you know, it's not a hacksaw, it's it's a coping saw. And you go to the channel and all it is is stolen videos. You know, you're like, was in one piece of original content?
0: Well, I think it's really important to like, not be afraid to do, to say things wrong or ask questions. And the big thing is to not be afraid to ask questions, yeah. right? I mean, right. find somebody that has an idea what they're talking about. And, you know, like I, I'm... Leather is that for me right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I have no clue what the tools for leather are called. I wouldn't even know how to google them. It's just like leather tools, I don't know. Yeah. But I could I could ask Jimmy, I could ask Taylor, I could ask any of these people like what should I be looking up? Just trying to learn like mm-hmm. what words should I be looking for and stuff like that. And I, you know, there's that's what this whole community, the whole online maker thing is about is people sharing knowledge. That's why we're doing this stuff, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. And so you know, everybody who watches any of us or listens to any of us, and I'm not, not the three of us, like anybody who's doing this, you are immediately connected to huge amounts of knowledge. Just just ask. Yeah.
1: Know? Yeah. And don't worry about going into, like, a lumberyard. Everyone's going to roll their eyes at you. Just get, get over it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yep. Cool. Well, what are you guys watching? So for me,
2: there is a YouTube channel called Vox. I don't know if you guys are familiar
1: with it. Yeah. I'll tell their you a content- funny story about Vox.
2: All right. Go ahead. Uh, their content's all over the place, but there's some really, really good videos. So, like, today they released the Kiss Cam behind the scenes. And so it shows on how the Kiss Cam works at sporting events. And then there was another oh, great cool. video the other day that I just loved. It's called Why the Wingding Font Exists. And so just things like that, really good stories, really good animations, and that is called Vox.
1: I stumbled Box. upon Vox a couple of weeks ago when I, I got into the channel. I started watching various videos, and, you know, they do a lot of know-how behind-the-scenes stuff. And then a couple of days later, which was a couple days ago, I was in line at the uh, at the local convenience store, and a guy walks up to me and goes, Jimmy Doresta. And I looked at him, and I go, how do I know you? He goes, I was your student like 10, 12 years ago. And then I immediately remembered him. He works at Vox. He's like one of the art directors there. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So I said, I just discovered your channel the other day. So he's like, awesome. He didn't know what I was up to, but he's going to take a look. And I said, if there's anything we could do together, give me a call. So hmm. small world.
0: Wow. Yeah, it really is.
1: Yeah. Well, I started watching, actually, I just mentioned this. If anybody hears me stand in for Bill Lutz on their uh, recycled audio. Reclaim. Uh Reclaimed if any, audio. If anybody hears me, I stood in for Bill Lutz this week on reclaimed audio. And I make the same suggestion, so I apologize, but it's 24 hours later and I haven't watched anything <laughs> since then. <laughs> it's the, the SawStop channel. As, have you guys ever checked out the SawStop channel? It's a small channel, but they have this one guy who does uh, table saw tips. And yeah. it's a bit dry and slow, but I actually learned a few things watching a few of their videos yesterday. So, And mm. I will watch more. Like I said, it's very, very clinical and there's nothing exciting about it and nothing is sped up at all. Nothing is, <gasps> cut through, nothing is what? cut through time. No, I mean, I reached for the slider like four times. I realized I was actually watching a video, not editing one. Um, <laughs> but I kept, awesome. I kept reminding myself to be patient and I did learn a few things. So um, check out the SawStop channel if you're new to the table saw. And I'm old to the table saw and I learned a few things right away.
0: That's awesome. Um, well, I'm gonna call out my buddy Rob Scallon which I did a few weeks ago. So I, I made the shovel guitar for him, and he did a video with that. Well, this week he put out another video with it, and it's uh, him playing a Rage Against the Machine song on the shovel. One string. <laughs> and it's awesome. One <laughs> it's, string. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. he He's, uh, I don't know, man. He just blows me away how talented he is. He can do all sorts of music. But anyway, I had a lot of fun. He sent it to me a couple days before, and he was really excited about it, and I was, like, chomping at the bit to share it with people. It's really good. Cool. Um, yeah. So I want to thank our Patreon supporters, uh, especially Luis Gonzalez, John Cornwell, Dominic Dufino, Elijah Taylor, and Jeremy White, but also everybody at Patreon. The support is awesome and we appreciate it. Um, in case you guys haven't noticed, we don't really have any sponsors on this podcast. And so the Patreon support is like what pays for it and pays for the hosting and the stuff and, you know, it's really awesome. So thank, well, thank you, you, thank guys. you,
1: thank you all very much. We need some
2: more big time supporters that have really difficult names. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> those That's, that was too easy for you.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, we need. Yeah, so if you have a weird name, go support us on Patreon. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> now, if you want to help out the show, though, Patreon.com/slash/making it. Um, also, you know, reviews and ratings on iTunes actually do make a difference. We are paying attention to those. And we're grateful for those as well. So thank
1: you guys. And thank Dave, you. what where what is our ranking? Are we moving up the ladder a little bit? Uh,
2: it, it fluctuates quite a bit. But in the the games and hobbies section, we were like eight. w well, I I forget what I say, fifty something. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. But um, yeah, it's out
1: of it's, out of how many it's fun.
0: thousands? F- fifty nine.
1: <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea. I have,
2: Oh wow! I have no yeah. idea.
1: Either way, it's really awesome. Billions. And, you know.
2: Billion. By the way, let will say billions.
1: Out of billions of podcasts. By the way, uh uh Bob, I got into uh Gimlet Audio because of you. Oh yeah. Gimlet. Cool. I just really I since you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, I listened to that whole first season and it's really cool. It's great it's to a good show. great to hear that.
0: Yeah. Um Startup. it's interesting. I was yeah, Startup is the podcast. Um I've been listening to, to some more of the newest season, which I don't know if you're to that yet. yeah. But it's really interesting. They're talking about kind of the growing pains of a company getting to like when do we need to start really hiring people and how do we spread the the workload between enough people so that you know nobody's overworked and everything and i'm dealing with some of that same stuff at a much smaller scale um but it's interesting to to hear kind of a raw look at like business stuff and how people are building their companies and everything so i don't know if you're you know running your own thing of any size i think it's a at least interesting. I don't know if it's really helpful, but it's an interesting show to listen to.
1: No, it's good to hear like the name change. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of course the way to collect financing is so interesting. Yeah. Um, so where
0: can we find out about everybody? We haven't done that in a while. Ooh. let You that. can find my website at
2: makesomething.tv. And that has links to all my social media channels. I'm pretty active on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram sometimes periscope I, I go in and out of periscope but make something dot tv
1: uh you can find me at JimmyDeresta.com, and lately i've been playing around with snapchat so uh, occasionally i have a good long story that has some cohesiveness but every once in a while i just film a piece of some weird thing that i've just did that i was proud of so check me out on snapchat at JimmyDeresta. so
0: thank cool. you all my all my stuff is at i like to make stuff dot um, kind of the newest thing for me is Twitch I'm on Twitch and live streaming on Wednesdays at 11am Eastern Standard Time that's the schedule and then I'm also going to start doing some like evenings when I can, that's just random but yeah, come hang out with me while I'm working in the shop right on So, and then this show is hmm. at makingitpodcast.com and on Twitter at makingitpodcast so, yeah Cool. That's it for number 63. Thanks, guys. See you guys next week. Later. I love it.